This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. He's a chartered financial analyst and also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We've got two related topics to talk about today, what to do with inherited items you don't want, and also how to buy things you need when you're on a budget. We'll talk about ways to get rid of material items if you're trying to downsize and how to accumulate inexpensively household objects that you may need. Writers also here ready for any personal finance question you might have. Contact us by email. The address, it's money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Ryder. What's in the news that interests you financially speaking this week? Good morning, Kevin. So it's the beginning of a month. I like to kind of look back and see what the markets were doing because... (laughs) This has been a year of just looking at what the markets were doing. Uh, The S&P 500 was up decently, kind of around 8 or 9% for July. So uh, if you remember end of June, kind of beginning of July, those were the lows of the market for the year so far. Of course, I don't know where they're going for the rest of the year. But we've come kind of nicely off those lows, kind of back to where it was uh, beginning of June. It's uh, higher than it was in May. And I always like to zoom out a little bit for context. So year to date, even though we're up 8% in a month, year to date, we're still down about uh, 13% or so. But, and that's from the beginning of the year. And and that's one of the things that's made this year look so harsh is we start off at a very end of the year last year, very high, and we very quickly sold off. But if you look back, I'm just looking back on a, a year's basis, back to last October, we're only a couple percent down from where we were last October. So if you were putting money in the market last October, at the end of October, then and then you you ignored your account, you would have missed the, one, a decent run-up of probably about 10%, but you would have missed all of the screaming and and hand-wringing over the past six months about how much the market was declining. And you say, oh, man, it's it's, it's not great. My my stocks are down a couple percent. But you you wouldn't really know what the big fuss was about. So it's always kind of interesting to zoom out and see where we are on a slightly broader scale. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that I heard that one sort of uh, bright statistic in the the whole thing about inflation and that kind of thing is that the the, the job market in the U.S. is still strong. Uh, yes, that's that's one of the things. And uh, the other day we we're talking about. Folks talk a lot about, oh, are we in a recession? Are we in a recession? Well, it's it's kind of a made-up word. And so what does that mean to you? There's textbook definitions of two quarters of GDP decline. And even though we may have had some of that, we're looking at uh, increasing spending. We're looking at in, uh, jobless rate is still very low. People are still being hired. 
while things are tough with inflation, obviously, if your income goes up 1% and your expenses go up 2% or your income goes up 5 and your expenses go up 10 it still hurts. It still feels bad. And so that's what a lot of people think when we feel this is bad. This is bad for my personal economy. I see it being bad elsewhere. But it hasn't drastically changed consumer spending uh, this inflation so far um, so we are we have not had a, a, a declared recession as it were well that's the other thing if I and again if I remember correctly can't they go back and retroactively say oh, we had a, yeah okay. yeah again we just we just kind of make this stuff up I mean Kevin look if you and I want to declare this a recession or not we can do that and if enough people listen to us it'll be true all right uh, we're talking today about ways to sell or buy items at a discount. So first suggestion is to ask family members, whether you're clearing out your home or loved one's household and you need an item for your first apartment, uh, check with your family to see what they want or have. Oh, you got to watch out for this one, Kevin, though, because you'll also have family members who are just offloading things on you. And <laughs> I think sometimes when I go visit, um, when I go visit my mother and she offloads some leftovers on me and it's just like sometimes sometimes it's great because because I need some food, but sometimes it's just, all right, which which one of us is going to be clearing this out of our own refrigerator in two weeks' time? So so you got to watch out. Is it is it, is it trash or is it treasure? <laughs> uh, my mother, who lives in a retirement home in upstate New York, is, is downsizing. And when I went to visit uh, last uh, uh, couple of months ago, I guess it was uh, May, um, sh she actually ha has a book. It's called When I'm Gone, which seems sort of morbid mm -hmm. at first, but when you realize it, it's mm -hmm. probably a good thing to have mm -hmm. that when she passes, she's leaving mm -hmm. instructions. Absolutely. But one of them is, she said, if you see anything you want, write it down in the book. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I, we could we could do a we could do a whole uh, episode on on estate planning by just flipping through that book and seeing how she has it organized. I think that's a great idea. Uh, I know I've done family members of my own, uh, grandparents, etc. Where not while they were still. Oh, I don't think we did this while they were still alive, uh, but we. The, we would walk through with uh, either a notebook and write down things you want or just got those little stickers, different color stickers. Everybody has their own color. Just stick it on what you want. Uh, and, and that was just a good way to, to kind of clear some things out that we really wanted before having an estate sale or before hauling things off. Well, and the other thing for family purposes, because the other thing that she, she had a box of photographs and things. Mm -hmm. And so oh my gosh. went looking through those and I learned a lot of our family history that I'd never known mm -hmm. before, and so that's, it's kind of fun. And so it, it serves two purposes. Um, you can help your parent downsize or that someone can get rid of, you know, some stuff, but also uh, maybe uh, stir up some interesting family memories that you can talk about. Absolutely. Um, here's another one. If you've been replaced by a fire or disaster, let authorities like the fire department uh, or your house of worship or friends know that you're accepting donated items. Seems like a good idea. I think that mm, that's uh, absolutely, you know, yeah. uh, uh, the people reaching out and helping someone when they're in a, um, you know, in a, in a, in a bad time mm -hmm. there. So that's mm -hmm. a way. Um, so I guess we're saying community can be important when sustaining a household. It's, I mean, Absolutely. you shouldn't ignore that, I guess. Yeah, so I, and, and, and I love that concept. I love the concept of you having a community that, that is supporting you, and, and that's so important. And so I, I was thinking about, so with a newborn in the house, we're not talking about natural disasters. This is a, a man-made disaster here. Um, <laughs> with a newborn in the house, we, it really, we really see that there's a big community around us. There are 
so last night I, somebody dropped off dinner for us on our front step so that was taken care of we have neighbors literally next door who if we need to something if we're out of food if we're out of this if we need someone to run to the store because we can't hop in the car or for some reason then we have people who are willing to do that we have family members who are willing to come over and just uh, hold hold our child for for a minute while we take care of other tasks or maybe they will help us do something while we hold the child you know so having a community to help out with this is so important and and of course a tragedy like a fire and some natural disaster you need so much so quickly um and you just in a fire you you just have to start replacing things it's it's not like moving into a new apartment where you maybe have some stuff and you it's okay you have a long lead time you don't know when a natural disaster is going to strike and so having a community that can that can either say oh we have this extra bed we no longer use or you can borrow this piece of you know you can use this to get your get back on your feet we will want it back because look around your house and look around your house and think if I had a friend who desperately needed this, was in a, in, a, in, a, in a tough situation, they could absolutely use this. They could absolutely have this piece of furniture. I would absolutely do this for them. And then think of your community. They all have things like that. Everyone has different things they can contribute. And so that's just so important. I remember when I was moving from an apartment into a house, I was downsizing, so I was getting rid of some of the stuff, and I'd put things out by a dumpster, I guess, and it, it was in nice condition, so someone had mm -hmm. gotten it, which is perfectly fine, but yep. I also remember one of the neighbors coming and knocking on the doors like, hey, you got anything else you're getting rid of? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, people, people do love free stuff. I mean, <laughs> if you're giving it away, you know, let us know. That's right, and you want to be first to get the good stuff. You <laughs> right, know, You don't exactly. want it all picked over yet. Absolutely. So. If you have a question for our expert, you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We'll continue our discussion about buying and selling household items after the break. Your best tool for getting rid of items might be your camera. We'll talk about that next. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. 
If you find yourself downsizing or helping to disseminate a family member's stuff, take a picture of the item to be getting rid of. The memory doesn't take up as much space as the original object, and you can discuss and learn interesting stories behind certain objects. If you need to purge your home of too much stuff, if you're looking to buy used household items, we uh, have some suggestions for you throughout this hour. Uh, we do have a caller on the line and also an email, so let's start with the email. It says, I have a Roth IRA with two Vanguard funds in it. Um, one is passively managed, one actively managed. I'm uh, considering adding a third fund, a low-cost stock index fund, but turned 50 this year. I'm not sure I should add another fund geared towards stocks or if any changes I make to my portfolio should begin to shift toward investments that are less volatile since I'm closer to retirement than I was when I first opened the IRAs. Ryder, what are your suggestions? Okay, so the first thing that I really like about this email is that they are asking about what investments are appropriate given their age and time horizon. So many people say, oh no, given what the stock market has done this week or this month or this year, what do I need to do? And the answer is usually, well, what do you need the money for? If you need the money tomorrow, don't put it in an aggressive stock fund because I can't tell you where it's going to be. Uh, it's, for instance, uh, the uh, S&P 500 down half a percent today. If you needed $100 yesterday and you put in the S&P 500, then you would have $99.50 and you would be just out of, out of luck there. You'd, you'd be short 50 cents. Um, <clears throat> so this person is asking uh, about their time horizon. Uh, that's very important. So aggressive funds, stock funds, they mention an S&P 500 fund. Those are for longer term investments. And the reason being that they can be very volatile. They mentioned volatility. Those can be very volatile year to year, day to day. You don't know where it's going today. You don't know where it's going this year. You don't know where it's going over the next few years. It could be down drastically. If we had start, had this conversation at the beginning of the year, you see we are down a lot this year. Uh, but over the long term, you expect much more growth. There's never, I believe it's around 12 to 15 years, there's never been a 12 to 15 year period where the S&P 500 is down in the U.S. And over longer periods, 15 to 20 years, it's actually shown great growth. Um, an average, I believe the lowest average at about 20 years, I'm trying to remember this from, uh, I get very good uh, information on this from J.P. Morgan. They ha have, have great displays of this and it's I believe it's about 6% is kind of the lowest return that it's been over that, those longer time horizons. And so that's why you invest in stocks. Um, so looking at uh, this person's time horizon, they turned 50 this year. You still have a long time horizon. Unless they are retiring tomorrow and planning on dying, having spent all their money the next day, my guess is maybe they're aiming for an early retirement sometime in their 50s. Maybe they're retiring at a normal time sometime in their 60s. That's still 15 years. If they're retiring at 65, that's still 15 years before you even start needing this money. They mention it's a Roth IRA. I'm not sure what all their whole mix is. All of the specifics are going to depend on what is your time horizon, what other resources do you have, where where are your resources. So, for instance, if you have uh, if you're planning on retiring in 20 years and you have a pension that's going to take care of everything you need and you have plenty of money elsewhere in just a bank account, then you can be you. <laughs> 
you may never touch this money. This money is going to go to future generations. So you need to think about investing for them. Their time horizon is decades and decades further along than yours. So uh, again, I do love that they're thinking about their time horizon. It sounds like this person has a very long time horizon and can still afford to be a bit of an aggressive investor. But of course, that does depend on every aspect of your financial situation. Also, though, I would say kudos to someone who turning 50, and even though they do have that time horizon, that they're, that they're thinking ahead. I mean, absolutely better yeah. that better have too much time horizon absolutely. than not enough for sure. And, and, and one and one thing we see a lot, and I just want people to think about this, is when you're talking about your time horizon, a lot of people will say, OK, well, I'm 60 now. I'm planning on retiring in five years when I'm 65. I don't have a long time horizon. My time horizon is five years. No, no, no. You're not spending all your money on your 65th birthday day you're going to live another 10 20 some people live longer you still have a long time horizon that doesn't mean all of your money needs to be geared towards the 30 year time horizon but you still need some of it geared towards that longer time horizon because you still need growth out of that money so don't confuse just your, your retirement start date with your time horizon, uh, your time horizon has a has a is very broad, <laughs> and it will last a while. And so, I guess the bottom line there is, regardless of your age, you really should always have short term and long term goals in mind. Yes, absolutely. All right, uh, we've got a call on the line, so why don't we say uh, good morning to Mara, who's called in from Jackson. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Oh, hello. Thank you for taking my call. What do you do about the good china? The kids these days don't use it. They don't entertain their boxes anymore at dinner. So just mm. getting rid of that. Yeah, absolutely. That's an interesting question. So what do you do about the good china? The, the things in your house that you, uh, your parents, y'all valued so much. They mean so much to you. They were very valuable. They were very expensive to purchase. You don't want to just throw them out, but your kids don't want them. Um, so a couple of things. Maybe, maybe, maybe someday in the future your children will appreciate those things more. Of course, when you just get your first apartment, you don't want you find China. But maybe once you're a little more settled in, maybe you'll appreciate that a little more. So that is one option. Um, do antique stores, consignment shops, those are places where those more unique items might fetch a higher price. And especially something like China, it's a lot harder to sell just online. You, you don't want to pack up all those plates and just like trot down and, you know, slap a stamp on it and drop it in the post office. That's not, that's that just doesn't, doesn't feel good for most people in their valuable collections. But perhaps having uh, an antique store look at it and really tell you what is the value. And also what, in this segment, we were going to talk about local stores, going to local antique stores, where these are people in your community who know the market for this stuff. They know those items you're trying to sell, and they may even be able to be able to or willing to sell themselves. So antique stores, consignment shops are a little more appropriate for something like that. With items that are very very specific and, and, and valuable, you may you want to go to those specific marketplaces for for fine china you want to go to a place where people who 
know, understand, and appreciate fine china are going. You, you don't, you don't just. That's why you don't buy it necessarily at a Walmart. That's where you go just to buy a lot of general stuff. You go to a nice china store to buy your nice china. And so, likewise, you should look at selling it in a similar marketplace. Uh, so, Mara, our producer, Liz Gill, has come up with a website that uh, is good for selling uh, China. Liz, w- tell us what you found. The um, website is replacements.com. Replacements Limited is the name of a well-known um, site that buys and sells fine china so if you yeah. if you need that gravy boat for your particular pattern or if you've got grandma's pattern and you want to sell the whole kit and caboodle they are very reputable if you want to go to their website it's replacements.com the name of the company is replacements limited and if you do get on their uh, mailing list they send a ton of emails <laughs> um so and so okay. one point about replacements uh it's going to be a, a, a good place to see what you have and maybe what its value is what they're selling at they are i believe one of if not the largest dealer of of these things also again not a local shop where you're, you're taking in and, and letting somebody look at it and appraise it for your local situation uh as far as selling to them th- as they are one of the largest you'll might not be getting the best price for them so that might be a look at last ditch i know what i can get from them so i know kind of what the what the lowest value i'm willing to accept is uh, and of course sending fine china to them you're running the same risks with shipping as with anybody else so just you know, be aware of what replacements.com is and how you should be using it all right tomorrow okay. go ahead Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for the call this morning. Um, and, again, we talk about this a lot in money-related things. Do some research first, as you suggested. Maybe use the website to get an idea of how much mm-hmm. your china is worth and then uh, see if you might could uh, find a local buyer or get rid of it locally. If not, that's a good mm-hmm. fallback to have. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about staying local and trying to get rid of uh, some of our items, I know that um, there are a lot of social organizations that have resale shops, uh, the the Gateway Rescue Mission, I think, in central Mississippi here, mm-hmm. certainly Salvation Army, that's a good place to go. Um, so what about uh, anything that you know of on, on Facebook or in, on social media? Absolutely. So Facebook, there are very often there will be buy nothing groups or buy sell trade or swap groups. And a lot of these will be limited by geographic area. So here in Jackson, maybe a Jackson or a metro area or a Mississippi or a central Mississippi, just wherever you are, all sorts of different uh, groups for that. And, and you want to find a large one. A large, a large and active one. A larger and more active network is going to have more products and also be more willing to take your stuff. Probably, uh, one example I see there is a. There's also just neighborhood groups. So. A lot of neighborhoods will have a, a face, Facebook group or other social media like Nextdoor, and it is super common for people who are getting rid of things. Maybe they're going to put something out on their curb a day or two before trash day so that folks can come and look at it. If it's yeah, a decent-shaped furniture, for instance, a very common. I know that I see folks posting these curb alerts all of the time. I got uh, I got a very good cat tower uh, from a curb alert uh, one, one time, so I can appreciate those but uh, not just the buy sell trade not just the buy nothing groups but also just local affinity groups 
Well, and if we wanted to go old school, we could always have a uh, yard sale, garage sale. Those are always <laughs> interesting to me. Absolutely. Uh, and it's a good way to try to get rid of your stuff. And I would say my suggestion on that would be sell low, you know, make things cheap <laughs> well inexpensive to try to entice people because the way i would look at it is if i've got this stuff that's I, i'm trying to get rid of it doesn't have any kind of intrinsic value to me so why not get what you can out of it and to me you know all those t-shirts are a dollar that would be a way to kind of get people to go over and kind of look through them and possibly sell them because i think in, you, everybody wants a little extra cash but i think one of the main reasons is you want to get rid <laughs> if, of the stuff yeah absolutely if you're if you're just trying to get rid of it having someone buy it for 50 cents is a lot better than just hauling it to the hauling it to the curb uh, um so partly think about why you're selling these things so absolutely like you said if you're just getting rid of it go for it if you're trying to get a decent value out of things instead of instead of throwing it away there are again the more specific places and like was mentioned before you know the fine china you don't just want to mark that for five dollars for your set of fine china you want to get you want to get someone to look at it you want to get an opinion before you really part with that for too low of a price and of course i think the you, the dollar tables at a garage sale are always fantastic there's just a lot of fun different ways you can market that and a lot of neighborhoods will do joint garage Garage sales. Um, I know growing up, that was something we always did was the one day in the summer, there would be garage sales all throughout the neighborhood. And that was great at attracting folks from all over. I mean, you just had a, a higher success sell, selling stuff when there's when there's more folks and more marketing to it. Other ways online, there's Facebook Marketplace, Let Go, Offer Up. Those are online methods to buy and sell items locally. And our producer, Liz, wanted to jump in here again while our discussion goes on. Well, my mother passed away almost a year ago now, and she lived out of state, and all of her kids and all of her grandkids already had all of the tables and chairs and beds and nightstands that they needed, and wasn't really worth it to, to ship it. So we did find individuals who were in need, who wanted the things, and Everybody cried. You know, she was, you know, people who had had a fire or mm -hmm. who were taking care of their grandchildren. They were so extremely grateful to get a free dining room set. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were so happy that it was going to go to someone who really would appreciate it and who would use it while it was, you know, it, it hurt me that I couldn't haul every stick of furniture to my house. So it was it was soothing to know that someone was going to love it appreciate it. I, I think that's a great just the flip side of what we mentioned in the last segment about if you've been displaced by a fire disaster, turning to neighbors, turning to your church, turning to the fire department for help for resources because you need to replace things quickly. That's just the just the opposite is if you are getting rid of things, people who need things immediately will take things off of your hands and and sometimes just the appreciation, just the knowing that you're doing something that you're really helping somebody out might might certainly be better than the couple dollars you might have gotten in a garage sale. We'll continue our discussion of buying and selling items in just a bit. How much money do storage units go for these days? We'll tell you that next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. 
Money Talks is MVB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. He's a chartered financial analyst and also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. According to the website GoBankingRates.com, most people pay an average price of $190 per month for their storage unit. Stored items can be damaged or stolen. They can also decrease in value. So consider whether it's worth the expense of storing items in a unit or would it be better to try some of these various methods we've been talking about and trying to get rid of some of that stuff to get a little bit of value out of it. Because, Ryder, I would think a lot of people, when they have those uh, type of storage units, stick stuff in there and it's out of sight, out of mind kind of things. And then mm-hmm. then you're just paying an average, you know, mm-hmm. a, a monthly rental for a closet, basically. And then they forget about it and it shows up on storage wars and it's just <laughs> and everybody's looking at your stuff and and that's just not the situation you want to be in I, yeah I, I think obviously there's a great need for storage folks who are moving folks who are you know, going away for a while but coming there's there's a there's a need and there's a time and there's a place but just treating it as a eh, you know I don't really want this anymore do maybe that's not the best use of your money or your things maybe be a little more specific about what you know when are you going to come back to it that's a good point we have another email here this one says hi do short-term cds seem to be a good investment move at this time yeah, so this is uh, kind of the opposite of the earlier question, where the earlier question was looking obviously broadly at stocks. They were looking at longer-term investments, and they were focusing on their own time horizon. This is looking at the market. Are short-term CDs attractive? I, sure, if you if, if you need money in three months, absolutely, yes. Get a three-month CD, and it will mature in three months, and you will have that money then. But you need to always, with any investment, you need to think about what is your need. You need to look at your future needs, not just what is the market doing right now. So, yes, you can get a CD, a brokered CD we've talked about in the 3% range, but if you don't need that money at, when the CD is mature, you know that's longer term money, then it's it's still not the appropriate investment. Just because it has a higher interest rate does not necessarily mean it's the appropriate investment. So again, if you if if you are looking at a three year CD and you're saying, oh, well, I have an expense coming up in three years, and I it'll I know it'll be one hundred and three dollars. Well, putting it in a Putting $100 into a CD that's going to pay you 3% is that's exactly what you need. That is perfect. Absolutely. Get that CD. If you are looking to spend the money in 30 years, no, absolutely not. The CD is not appropriate. So, again, do short term CDs seem to be a good investment at this time? It depends absolutely on your own financial situation. So we're talking about uh, buying stuff or getting rid of stuff, uh, that uh, buying stuff you need cheaply or getting rid of stuff you don't need. And uh, I think uh, we're lucky to be living in the Internet age because there certainly are a number of online ways to buy and sell things. Uh, there are consignment and retail online sites for mm-hmm. clothing such as Poshmark.com, uh, ThreadUp.com. Um, interestingly, I think it was a Poshmark commercial I saw the other day. Where oh, wow. <clears throat> the, the guy's like, oh, yeah, I, I bought a suit or whatever, and I wore it once, and then I sold it back on Poshmark, and I thought, well, that's interesting. I've never heard of that. <laughs> Usually it's like, okay, I got it for cheap, but now it's kind of like a rental. Like, like, I need a fancy outfit, so I'm going to buy it and then turn around and sell it right back. Uh, you, some people like this stuff. I, that, as someone who has never bought or sold on Poshmark, it, it, it just seems that seems like a high barrier. That seems too complicated for me. Uh, that's not for me, but if you buy and sell 
close online anyway. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's a clever thing. You're just a you're just like a suit broker. You're just <laughs> you're just buying and selling shirts and pants and shoes and uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, here's one for me: pre-owned sneakers, StockX.com or FightClub.com. Uh, so save those in your favorites. Kevin. Yes, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Although I don't know how they got away with if it wouldn't fight. Well, I don't know. You know, don't there's know, that yeah. famous movie named Fight Club. Yeah, yeah. Just not. But the, the would the trademark be on sneaker marketplaces? Is that a specific category at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office? I'm not sneaker market. Were they, were they imagining that? I don't know. Found the, our founding fathers imagining that. <laughs> Wedding dresses, uh, those are very expensive. Mm -hmm. I've never bought one. Well, I've never bought one, but stillwhite.com, sellmywedningdress.org, and then preowningweddingdresses.com or nearlynewwed.com. I will say preownedweddingdresses.com. You really nailed the marketplace (laughs) there. You cannot get a better way. It's very difficult to get a better URL than that. Y'all have really won the game there. And and so the thing that I like about these is, like I was saying earlier, when you're dealing with a very specific item, you wouldn't, again, you wouldn't sell a wedding. If you had a wedding dress and you were having a garage sale, selling your wedding dress at a garage sale, you're just... It, it, the garage sale is a general audience. It's just people looking for stuff are coming. They're not necessarily people who are in the market specifically for wedding dresses. That is a very specific market. And so that's why we have very specific wedding dress stores where <laughs> all the most expensive and highest margin wedding dresses are sold. So if you want your wedding dress to be sold in, in, a, in a very to a specific market in a very uh, in a higher margin way than these specific websites, sites are great again same with sneakers i know sneaker collecting sneaker buying has it's it's boomed recently so people are looking for those specific sites where they can get that specific thing and it will attract the people who know what they're getting into and they're willing to spend a little bit more again if you're just putting it on a shelf with everything else you're getting people who are just like oh well you know maybe i want those sneakers but oh they're two dollars too expensive but if you're selling it to someone who wants to buy sneakers right now oh they might pay that extra two dollars yeah i think you're right i think these uh, specific sites uh, you're going to get a, a higher return on on the product as opposed <laughs> to as you said just having it out hanging off the hanger <clears throat> during your your garage sale mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what uh, what things if you think you're playing the online marketplace and, and, and selling or buying what would you say are some tips and things to keep in mind to make a successful transaction well, as far as being a seller, then one, knowing these specific sites is very useful. And, and it's not just what is the most specific site, but also what is the site, is the site big enough? Is it popular enough? Is it active enough? Because it, you want an active and engaged purchasing marketplace. Uh, some places will allow you to post things on multiple sites. Uh, so for instance, there's eBay. You can post your thing for sale on eBay and if it gets sold, you can you can you can draw it back. Uh, so if you can reach multiple audiences, that's very useful. Of course you need to make sure you're managing that well or you're gonna get some pretty bad seller feedback. And if you're looking for that repeat feedback then that, yeah, that's potential. Um, 
again, also using these to compare the prices and see what really is fair, what are other people doing. Just because you see it for a high or a low price on one website doesn't mean that the broader marketplace is really pricing it that high or that low. So it's a good idea to get a feel for the marketplace. And then, of course, with as a buyer, you have all these different options to shop around, and you can also understand the market. You can also understand, are people selling these for a high price? Are these selling really quickly? Do If I really want this, should I be willing to pay more? Or is it worth it to wait? Uh, so those those are kind of things that you can use those sites for both information and, of course, completing the transaction on these sites. Uh, Mercari.com is another site. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who is a doll collector, and he has been trying to get rid of some of his excess inventory. <clears throat> and the interesting thing about that is Mercari will, will set, originally will set the price for you because mm-hmm. that's another thing when you're trying to sell something online. Absolutely. How much should I charge so that maybe someone would be interested in buying it at the same time I don't want to you know undercut myself or whatever so yeah that's that valuable information part of it and um, I've had friends who've sold things on Macari and that's just kind of an easy way to sell a lot of general stuff uh, of course gold mine for folks who are looking for specific things they you go to these specific sneaker websites yes but if you just come across this stuff on another website might be again that's the kind of less informed posting you might be able to get a better price. And that thing I would say for the seller is keep in mind that you are going to have to ship the item to the person yes. who's buying it. And so I, I'm sure in the, in the upfront, you need to make sure, you know, am I buying the shipping? Are you paying for the shipping? Mm-hmm. If you're paying for the shipping, you know, that really should be a, a factor of how much uh, you plan to charge Absolutely. for it. You know, some websites specialize in helping you sell books or finding that specific book. There's bookfinder.com, books scouter.com, pals.com, and sellbackyourbook.com. We will continue talking about buying and selling household goods after this quick break. We've got a potential pitfall about buying and selling we hope you'll be aware of. That's coming up next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. We're glad you found our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Here's a reminder, Tuesdays at 10 a.m., listen live to In Legal Terms, right here on MPB Think Radio. Whether you're getting rid of recently passed loved one's household or looking for inexpensive items to stock your first home or home after a tragedy, be aware of the emotional toll that buyers and sellers may be going through. Some aspects of letting go will inevitably be challenging, as well as replenishing a home after a disaster. And that's a good thing to think about. If you are in a situation where it is an emotional, maybe have a friend or someone, a third party, disinterested third party that can help you be more clear about you know again you don't want to undercut yourself and you don't want to oversell so maybe someone that's disinterested will help you if if it's especially emotional time for you absolutely and and on the other side as a buyer you just don't want to be uh, trolling the obituaries and knocking on doors and asking to buy stuff this is a big reason we've done a show on i believe estate sales
sales and estate auctions before. It's a big reason why you want to have someone else do that. Not only can they go through and help you price and sell everything there and kind of take care of that whole process, but they can they can be a little separation, a little emotional separation between you parting with all those goods. So you know, go through, get what's valuable to you, get what's emotionally important to you, but letting someone else handle some of that process, uh, giving yourself a little bit of separation uh, may be helpful. Yeah, I think estate sales are interesting. Um, from friends of mine who I visit out in California, they're big. Uh, they go to estate sales mm-hmm. a lot, and it's interesting to me because it's again, it's usually someone's entire household of stuff. So there's always crazy variety of things there. But also uh, in California, and I'm sure in other states as well, th- there's become an industry of I'm going to come in and I will conduct your estate sale mm-hmm. for you. Absolutely. And again, yeah. that's a way to um, uh, because again, in the estate sale, usually after someone has passed away, so that's again a way to sort of remove yourself emotionally and and have someone who has a good idea about the value of things to kind of regulate the the, the sale. Yep. Um, so any other thoughts about um, the, the Internet industry of, of buying and selling uh, things online? Yeah, so like you mentioned, it's really wonderful that we have the Internet to help us with these things because it allows us to connect with folks further afield than just our local community. If you live in a place that has great the thrift stores, consignment shops, antique stores, all of that, then it's going to be fairly easy. You can find all these fairly good active markets in your area. But if you don't, then the Internet's going to help you connect with folks that are just further afield, folks that are looking for something very specific. And again, the more specific someone is looking you are looking for the more specific that item is the less kind of common it is the more likely you are to have you, you got to put in a little work you got to have a little patience you got to look at multiple marketplaces but that the internet having the internet is going to be super valuable to you of course the, the industry of consignment stores and thrift stores has been around a long time i was kind of looking into that i always look like looking into a little bit of history of things uh, thrift stores came about in the early 1900s of course they didn't have the internet back then but salvation army goodwill as away because as we went from people would make their own clothes repurpose clothes if you wore out of clothes it wasn't it wasn't oh i don't like these pants anymore they're not fashionable anymore it was i've worn through these pants i need to turn them into something else we didn't have a need to resell or we didn't have really an ability to resell uh, but as as uh, jobs became more specialized and uh, uh, centralizing production of clothes, then, then yes, people would buy clothes in stores. And also, at some point, you would have resale stores because people do have always wanted to get rid of things and people have always been looking for a bargain. And so those resale stores, those consignment shops um, – came about a little later in their stores, I think. It was always a place where those two parties could meet together. Uh, the Internet just allows us to do that on a bigger scale. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We've got another caller on the line, so we go to Senatobia, and we say good morning to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Uh, my question is a little bit off your topic, but I've been looking at a broker CD, and I just want you to explain, please, exactly what that is and why the rates for a broker CD are so much higher than what I would get at the local bank. And I'm going to take your answer off the air. Off the phone. 
All right. Thanks for calling. Ryder, what do you got? Yeah, so, and I believe we talked about brokered CDs last week, and of course, just mentioning those with the previous email. A brokered CD is, it is a CD. It is a certificate of deposit. It is issued by a bank. They are FDIC insured. So that is just like those CDs that you can get going down to your brick and mortar bank. The difference is brokered CDs are issued through, you can buy them through a brokerage. So if you have a brokerage account, if you have an investment account, you can buy brokered CDs. One that sells bonds, they, they're treated like, they trade like bonds. Uh, they are less liquid than most bonds. So you would, you should, in most cases I've seen, it makes most sense to buy them to hold until maturity, just like you would do in a bank. Because the price can fluctuate, but again, you get every dollar you put in, you get that dollar back with your interest. So the reason you may see much higher interest rates on those is it could be a bank that just doesn't have access to a big market. You know, a, a bank that if they are advertising uh, an enticing deal on a CD, it's because they want your deposits. They need you to come bring deposits to them. And if you have a small bank and they are advertising, advertising, advertising to get people to bring in money to deposit into CDs, and they're just not getting enough, and they're spending money on advertising, that's tough. And so they make the decision that maybe we will issue this CD nationally and let anyone with a brokerage account get it. And so they will go to the large brokerages uh, and those brokers will do the selling of the CDs for them. So they may offer a higher interest rate to make it an enticing CD, but they don't have to do the marketing campaign. They don't have to hire people in their branches to do the account paperwork for you. So that's why you might see uh, much different interest rates uh, between an in-person brick-and-mortar bank versus a brokered CD. This is Money Talks. We're wrapping up our discussion this morning about uh, getting rid of stuff and buying stuff cheaply. One thing that we haven't really touched on, I guess, is uh, the flea markets, and that's another thing that uh, you can go. And uh, to me, the whole idea is is sort of interesting where it's like someone has something that really they don't really want anymore. Uh, and but then there's out there someone out there who could possibly be looking for that and, mm -hmm. and, and get it. So it's it's kind of fun to me uh, just to go to a flea market and see all the stuff and think to yourself, why don't you, how did these people gather all this stuff in the first I, place? I used to love going to flea markets growing up. I just thought, like you said, it's so interesting and people have kind of curated their specific selection of things, the thing that they specialize in. I, I, I do think that's so interesting. Um, if you need to clear out items from your home or loved one's home or need to furnish your home, there are options that we have been talking about throughout the uh, hour. Uh, there's a couple more to mention. If you're interested in electronics, try eBay.com. Everyone, I think, has knows about eBay. Mm, That's classic. one of the more famous ones. Declutter.com, uh, bestbuy.com slash trade-in, or swappa.com. Um, any? Are you familiar with any of those? Oh, gosh. I, I mean, eBay, classically, that's a huge marketplace. Uh, very convenient. Uh, like, I, it's, it's a generalist marketplace, although they do have the specific places. I see ads for eBay motors and kind of large household appliances, things that I would not think of buying online, really. But uh, I guess eBay is doing it. And again, large marketplace. Everyone knows about it globally. It's very big. So if you just have stuff to sell 
eBay is that's probably a great place. Uh, declutter I'm, and swap are less familiar with. BestBuy.com, of course, electronics retailers will often buy electronics back. Now, buying electronic, buying used electronics is a little trickier. Uh, because electronics go out of date so quickly and people obviously a lot of folks are buying a new iPhone every year and that old iPhone is really it's fine uh, they're buying a new TV somewhat frequently and that old one is really fine uh, I would lean towards if you're buying buying the certified refurbished ones factory refurbished what have you have some warranty have some degree on it, just because the level of complexity it's not like oh I can just walk Watch that stain out. No, it's an iPhone. Um, so that's important. Otherwise, when you're selling them, most of the time, those are getting either refurbished or moved to uh, down market other countries. So you're not really necessarily buying the same quality. That's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on your preferred podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Charles Arnold. For Ryder Tap, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us Tuesdays at 9 for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.